desire send the light lord amen we've had light shine on our pathways and we just want more and to keep walking amen that's a, a fitting song this morning for our title which our title is to make straight the paths of jehovah make straight the paths and thank you that's all the singing will do i, I we could just sing all day though really especially when brother ray's song leading i just like it a little biased but yeah some things you just enjoy. You can just relax and just, oh, thank the Lord. Thank you, Brother John, for that special. That, what a wonderful atmosphere. I mean, really, what a day. When all that we've lived for, strive for, work for, everything we've longed for, when we could just behold his face. <laughs> Words can't describe. You can't enter into that feeling enough that you, you get down here in the presence of God, but it, it just isn't the reality of what it will be because we in our mortal flesh can't take that we couldn't handle to literally sit in his presence and brother Branham would talk about when the angel of the Lord would come he described to brother Eddie Biscoe he'd say it's like I could die every time my that's how it is for a man that lived that much in the presence of God what about us that we ain't that close to God and we ought to be amen we ought to do everything we can to get as close to God as we possibly can. Amen. Let's take our Bibles together, turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. I know most of the youth were expecting chapter 59, but that's been now, the, in the last two weeks, it's been the title or the, the text of four of the services now, but... We're going to move backwards to Isaiah chapter 43 and start there. But, hey amen. as I said this morning, really, I want to just, Lord willing, we're going to pick up where we left off on Friday night with the youth. And I had a brother text me and say, you need to preach that to the seniors, too. So, 
We're not going to go back and re-preach it, but we're going to just carry on and see how the Lord leads it. Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 43. Why don't we just bow our heads together and let's just approach the author one more time. Heavenly Father, Lord, we truly love you, Lord. And we're grateful to come into your house, Lord, with thanksgiving and with praise. And Lord, we thank you for what you've already done this weekend and how you moved in our midst on Friday in the youth. And I believe just helping us in our Christian walk, Lord, that you would strengthen and encourage us, Lord. But Lord, as I was just praying even yesterday morning, Lord, I couldn't take an ounce of credit for any of it. Father, if anything that went good, Lord, I couldn't take one bit, Lord, for Father, it was you. Lord, and if anything went wrong, I'll take the credit for that. That was when I got in the way. So, Father, this morning I pray you'd help me just not to get in the way. Lord, that you could come and speak to your children, Lord, and come and break the bread of life. You said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And I pray this morning, Lord, you would come and speak. As Brother Jeff has prayed, lip to ear, Lord, and just make yourself reality, Lord. Whisper your secrets into our hearts, Lord, as we are your bride, O oh God, and we long just to know you in a greater way. Father, would you just help us, we pray, to surrender to you and be sincere in all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 13. And it says, yea, before the day was I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I have sent to Babylon, and have brought down all the nobles and the Chaldeans whose cry is in the ship. All right. Forgive me. Let's go back to verse, chapter 42. This doesn't sound right. I gave him the wrong chapter. Chapter 42 and verse 13. That's better. Amen. All the word is good. Thank you. As I'm reading, this, this doesn't quite sound right. Chapter 42, verse 13 says this, And the Lord shall go as a mighty man. He shall stir up jealousy and like a man of war and shall cry, Yea, roar, and he shall prevail against his enemies. And I have long time hidden my peace, and I have been still. And refrained myself. Now will I cry like a travailing woman, and I will destroy and devour at once. I will make waste mountains and hills and dry up all their herbs, and will make the rivers islands, and will dry up the pools. And I will bring the blind by a way and they, that they knew not, and I will lead them in paths that they have not known." Amen. So now he's speaking about there's something, there's a people that are blind, but I will lead them. I'll make them to go in paths they didn't know before. Amen. But he says, he carries on and he says, 
And I will make darkness light before them. Something that before was darkness, I'll make it light. And he says, and, and, and crooked things straight. Those, the, these things will I do unto them and not forsake them. Amen. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And he says that they shall be turned back. They shall be turned back and they shall be greatly ashamed that trust in graven images. And say, that say to the molten images, you are our gods. Hear ye deaf, and look ye blind, that ye may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger that I sent? Who is blind as he that is perfect, and blind as the Lord's servant? That almost seems like it'd be a terrible servant. But he just said previously, I'll show you. I'll lead you. I don't need someone who's self-educated or self-taught in their eyes that they feel they can see the way. I need someone that's blinded to everything else that just says, Lord, take my hand. Lead me from here to the great unknown. Amen. He says, and this, seeing many things, but thou observest not, opening the ears, but he heareth not. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness' sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. That's exactly what Jesus said. I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to magnify it. Amen. Amen. And now it goes on. It says, but this is a people robbed and spoiled. They are all of them snared in holes. They are hid in persons' houses. They are for a prey and none delivereth for a spoil and none saith restore. Who among you will give ear to this and who will hearken and hear for the time to come Who gave Jacob for a spoil and Israel to the robbers? Did not the Lord, he against whom we have sinned? For they would not walk in his ways, neither were they obedient unto his law. Oh my. And he says this, Therefore he hath poured upon him the fury of his anger and the strength of battle, and it hath set him on fire round about. Yet he knew not, and it burned him. And listen to this next statement. Yet he laid it not to heart. Amen. More Lord has blessing to the word. You may have your seats. Now we find that there, there comes, as he's speaking in Isaiah, how he sends a servant and the messenger. But it's not that this messenger has eyesight of his own, but the messenger is being led of the Lord. And the messenger is speaking what God gives him to speak. We've seen that in our day. Really, this chapter is referring to the call of Elijah. It happened when, 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 uh, when and we look in Luke chapter 3 and verse 4, when Elijah forerun the first coming of Christ through John the Baptist. Right, where we find in verse 4, it says, As it is written in the book of, in the words of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. I want you to notice that it's not make your path straight, make his path straight. Amen. It's not about that we have a certain path. It's not our path that we're following. It's the path of something greater. It's the path of the Lord. Say, make his path straight. 
And he says, every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough ways shall be made smooth. That's exactly what we read in Isaiah 42. It's the call of Elijah saying there's coming a voice that's there to lay the way for the coming of Christ. It happened once in his first coming. It's happened again in the second coming. That there had to be a voice come to, to, to lay a path that was a straight path. So that we wouldn't be lost in the way, but rather that we could walk in it easily. And all flesh, verse 6, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. That doesn't say all flesh shall receive, but all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And now if you, if you carry on in, in chapter 42, just to go back to Isaiah chapter 42, it says there's those that didn't receive it into their heart. And he says there that he begins to lay out some judgment of them, that how God will pour out his wrath and his anger upon them. Why? Because they said they didn't receive it into their heart. It didn't come into their heart. They could take it in their spirit. They could take it in their flesh. But it never went deep enough to where it changed them to being a real new creation in Christ Jesus. Now, if you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 8, if you will. I'll give you the... 35-second synopsis of Friday night, which is basically Romans chapter 6 starts out in water baptism, and then it leads into the weakness of our flesh and how we ought to yield it as members of righteousness unto holiness and not members of iniquity unto iniquity. In other words, he's speaking to people that know better. Iniquity is someone that knows they shouldn't do it, and they do it anyways, or people that know they should do it and don't do it. But now he goes on into chapter 7 where he begins to talk about marriage and it almost seems like he changes his, 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 his topic completely to talk about marriage and divorce. And, but really, he's, he, it is applicable to that, but also applicable to our walk with the Lord and how we have a relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. That we must first be divorced from the law in order to be married to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't live under that old law and be condemned by it and still try and walk in grace and say, but I'm, uh, I'm with God here. I'm in Christ over here. You're either with one or the other. Yeah. Amen. And it doesn't do away with the law as he continues on. It doesn't do away with it. Rather, it magnifies it. It makes it good that it was there for a purpose. It brought you upright. It raised you right. It causes you to live right. But it's with this life, this relationship that enables you to actually live what it was because he goes out in Romans chapter 7 and says, I can't do that on my own. The messenger of the age with all of the credentials that he had and even didn't even have a wife to trip him up. All right, nothing there. He was single, but he didn't have a wife to encourage him either. He was just there by himself, and we find in all of that, he says, I'm not able to do it on my own. I need something more. And us married men, we got a leg up because we got a wife. And it's necessary, and we need that. It encourages us in the right direction. Brother Paul said it very nicely last weekend, and he put it together so well, and I don't want to re-preach what he preached, but really, a wife is a wonderful part of a minister. I don't know how many services I've gotten because my wife has said, you know, I was reading in the scripture the other day. I was just listening to a message, and the Lord spoke to me in this way, and I thought, man, that's wonderful. I'm going to take that and preach on it. <laughs> Thank you, honey. Amen. When God calls a man, he does call his wife. But now in Romans chapter 8, he goes down through all of those things, and we start out in verse 1, but he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. This is what he's talking about, saying you can't be married to one and the other. 
You can't be, be still in love with the law back here. He says, you've got to be in Christ Jesus. If you're still living under the law, there's still condemnation there. He says, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Those that have been born by one spirit into one body, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. Whoever the Son has set free is free indeed. Amen. That we're not all of a sudden condemned because of something that the law says, but rather that it's there to amplify itself so it can live through us the way it was intended to be lived. The Pharisees thought they had the right intentions of living the law, that they could have an outward appearance of this is we don't carry so much on the Sabbath, we keep this day holy, you know, we walk in a certain way, we separate ourselves from uncleanliness, and it was all on a fleshly carnal level, but they forgot that it needs to go down into the heart in order to live out from an individual, not something that's constantly pushing down, oppressing an individual. Amen. It says, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. Now listen, it's not that the law was weak. It's that the flesh was weak. Yeah. It's saying that we can't live the law through the flesh, that we and ourselves are incapable of keeping it. How many times did Jesus repeat himself over? You hypocrites. You Pharisees, you hypocrites. Why? They thought they could do it, but they kept failing and failing and saying, we got this, we got this, we got this, and... You're missing what we're talking about. And he says this, for the, for the law, the law could not do that, not it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Wasn't that he was sinful flesh? In the likeness of sinful flesh. So he had all the capability to sin that we have. And he says, and, and, in the likeness, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Hallelujah. In other words, he made a way to bring the flesh subject to the word of God. And he says that, that the righteousness of the law might not be, or might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So in other words, because of what Jesus said in motion, because he set the law, the plan of redemption in motion, and he brought grace, because of what he did proving and condemning sin in the flesh, he said, now we're able to live the law even in the flesh. He says, but after the Spirit, and by now, and they, verse 5, I think we're at verse 5, right? Yeah. He says, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now we're starting to get into, and as I begin to make it known to the young people, I, I'm not, I don't want to speak about just your flesh. Because the flesh is, is, is really controlled by something on the inside. The battleground is in the Spirit. It's in a spirit realm where there's five gateways, there's, there, there's a memory, there's imagination, there's a conscience, there's an affection, there's a reasoning all in there. That's all, it's all convoluted and intertwined. It's not that, okay, now I'm in my imagination and tomorrow I'm in my memory. And then that, No, it's not separated like that, but these are gateways and senses that they pull on one another. That when one activates, they all activate and they begin to, you begin to, to think in this certain way. 
We'll come back to that in a minute. But, but, but now this is what we're dealing with, and that is where, where the battleground is at. Satan pushes in from the outside, and God pushes out from the inside. Because once you get the Holy Spirit on the inside, then it's the Lord Jesus Christ, the li- his life inside of you. But the battleground, the surrenderance is in the flesh, or not in the flesh, in the spirit. That you've got to recognize that, um, that, that it controls the flesh. But the, but the soul controls the spirit, if you allow it to. Amen. I don't want to make it too complicated. So I say, we'll come back to it because I want to lay it in properly. It says, verse 6, Sister Ruth, For to be carnally minded is death. What's the mind got to do with it? To be carnal in your spirit is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's never been more real than today. To allow all the things of the world to affect your spirit, it's a a death march. You're walking down a lane of fear after fear after fear and not understanding what's going on. We see the world with it. Well, we don't understand what's going to happen. We might be shut down. This might happen. That much happen. If you're allowing that to control you, it's to be carnally minded, and it's locking you down a pathway, a garden pathway, straight down to death. Because let me be honest with you, our medical system has no idea what they're doing. Because I'll tell you what's going to happen. It's very, very simple. It's called, by his stripes you are healed. That never fails. It calls the fervent, effectual, prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That never fails. If there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church, lay his hands upon them, anoint them with oil, and they will be healed. That availeth much. That is not going to fail. But the ways of man, just go out and get in your car and drive it. Never change the oil on it. Let me ask you what's going to happen. Pretty soon it's going to fail. That's the ways of man. You could even change the oil on it. You get 300,000 kilometers, you're doing really good. 400,000 kilometers, you're like, man, this, this car's never going to quit. 400,001. And it quits on you. The ways of man. It's, it's not everlasting. It doesn't keep going on because that's an invention of a carnal individual. But when God creates something, when God promises something, it's something that lasts from everlasting to everlasting because he's eternal. And as we heard last weekend, it's going to take an eternity for him to even unfold himself to us. Oh, what a day that'll be. A never-ending eighth day. Praise be to God. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Well, Brother Ed, this has already taken a turn that I didn't expect, so thank the Lord. It says, verse 7, it says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. In other words, as you already laid out chapter 7, chapter 6, it just can't. If you're allowing that flesh to control you, you just can't get yourself subject to the law. You can't get yourself subject to the word. He said, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Hallelujah. Go with me to Galatians chapter 5. Just a few pages over. Galatians chapter 5, we know it's a very familiar scripture to all of us because we love to quote it, the fruits of the Spirit. We're down to the end of it, but I want to skip over that just for a moment. Get down to verse 24. 
It says, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. That's quite a statement. In other words, it's, it's crucified. It's there as a testimony of what God delivered you from. But it's dead. With the affections and the lust. Let me ask you why. If you actually look through lust and affection in the scripture, it's mentioned quite a bit. Paul deals with it a lot. Why is that? Because God knows, I believe, that we are creatures of passion. If you go back to Genesis, you'll find that the spirit man was created in the image of God. And that all of creation is because God was moved by the passion of his love that he loved demanded a fellowship with his manifested attributes. God didn't just create it to say, well, let's create this and sin will happen and we'll just redeem it. It'll be a wonderful story. There was a purpose. God was alone. He was Elohim. He was all a self-existing one. There was nothing else there to have fellowship with. He was alone with his thoughts. But with his thoughts and his attributes, he desired to have fellowship with these so that he could, he could enjoy more than just a thought, but it would be a manifestation of what he had in his mind before the foundation of the world. And he desired that so he began to speak. And he began to speak into existence and the seeds began to be planted and every seed would bring forth of his kind because there was something in him that was moved with passion to have fellowship and to love something. Because God is love, but without anything to love, what is love there for? There has to be an expression. It's not just a agape, it's a agapo. It's not just God is love, but it's the expression of God's love. But even then, even, even if you go down to the, the, to, the, to the cross, they call it now the passion of Christ. It wasn't just, if I have to do this, I have to do that. But it was something in him that was behooving him to fulfill the will of God, to fulfill the word, to, 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 to redeem his own people back to himself. It wasn't done out of, out of, out of oh, I, I have to do it, so I just, oh, it's terrible, but I got to do it. No, he was moved to do it. He willingly endured the cross because he was passionate about bringing about the plan of redemption, and he knows that we're created in his image, and he said, you're, you're men and women of passion. We're driven by our passion. We're driven by our affection. We're driven by our, what we desire, what we long for, what, we, what we're driven towards. And even the original sin in the Garden of Eden began by Eve coveting what the serpent was selling. If she never coveted, if she never lusted after, if she never wanted it, it we would have never had a fall. So, so Satan could have come in and told the serpent, say anything you want, and they could have spoken for years and years and years, and if she never wanted it, nothing would have happened, but something in her changed in her spirit realm. She was still perfect down in her soul, but in her spirit began to change. She began to want what was happening. So then God begins to deal all through the scripture on covetousness, thou shalt not covet, on lust and all of these things. It's all covetousness and lust really is the same thing. Satan got in by deception. He began planting spiritual seeds in the minds of mankind by deception. We know that he, he oh, I was preaching to the young people on Friday, and I don't want to re-preach it, but we find that, 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 that as he was talking to Eve, 
He was telling her the word of God. He was saying, yeah, that's absolutely right. You shall not eat of this tree. And yes, God, oh my, you're just like God. Everything wonderful. But my, you'll know both good and evil. It was the truth, Brother Brown says. He was absolutely, but when he got in by deception, oh, but you shall not surely die. And there was a 99% truth in that even, in the fact that in your flesh you will not die. Right now. But it sets in motion the wheel of death that now eventually you are going to die because of sin, and the wages of sin is death. So that's exactly what he began to set in motion, but he got in there by deception. And I was like, I started to get into, there's five intermingled gateways into the, into the, or senses of the spirit. And he uses these gateways to get you by read, to reason with the word. And he doesn't just primarily approach you just on reasoning and begin to tell you a logical argument, but rather primarily he will take occasion by your affections, by your imagination, and by your, by your memory to influence your reasonings. Oh, he's shrewd. He doesn't just come at you and say, well, listen, this other fellow over here said this, so you need to believe this. No, he comes at you and says, oh, but you like that. You like the way that guy dresses and the way he speaks, and you like, oh, and you remember in your memory that there was somebody and there was something. And then he begins to cultivate an imagination. What could it be if I accepted this? It's not just that he's reasoning with you. It's that there's, there's all of these senses of your mind that begin to go, and it's all for a purpose, and that's to dilute and to destroy your conscience towards light and darkness. So you no longer can understand the difference between light and darkness. That's his purpose. To deceive you, to make you think light is dark and dark is light. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9, it says it this way, Even him of those whose coming is after the works of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Power of Satan? Yeah. Power, signs, lying, wonders. Oh, it might look so wonderful, but is it truth? God's spirit is the spirit of truth. And any times the devil's lips are moving or he's acting or he's doing anything really, it's a deception. It's a lie. It's for his own purpose. And he says that with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, no, we, we need to not be naive. That we look at something when we go, listen, righteousness is righteousness and unrighteousness is unrighteousness. But here the scripture says there's a deceivableness of unrighteousness. In other words, he makes it look righteous. Oh, has he ever pushed that today? Don't you just have passion? Don't you have compassion? Don't you know what compassion is? You got to love everybody. You got to accept them. Until you got huge mega churches nowadays. Come as you are. I said it to a couple on Friday. I said, absolutely, come as you are and we'll change you. Let the Lord change you. Amen. It's not come as you are and stay as you are. Come as you are, get under the Holy Spirit and watch your life change. Amen. 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 That same, just to carry on, that same church, I found it interesting. Brother Brandon began to talk about how it becomes such a bragging point that they have a celebrity or they have a... Some important person. Well, you got these mega churches that will, I'm the pastor of Justin Bieber. 
So what? That means you're doing a terrible job, to be honest. <laughs> Sorry, that was for free. That was... Let's get back to the word here. But it says, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth. Let me ask you what that is. That's Jehovah Nissi. That's the banner of love over him. The love is a love of the truth. He says, you've got to have a love for the truth. He says, you didn't receive the banner I sent you. You didn't receive the ensign. I said I would raise up a standard. But if you don't receive that, what's the hardest thing he ever got a man to do is to believe another man. But he said, I sent a standard. What did I send? I sent spirit-filled man to raise up a standard. But there's people that didn't receive that because of the deceivableness of unrighteousness. But I sent it to them that they might be saved. But he says, and for this cause, God will send them a strong delusion. That they should believe a lie and be damned by it. Oh my. A delusion. A delusion is something to really think you're right when you're wrong. You go back to Galatians chapter 5. Just read the next verse in verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. It almost seems like a repetition, but it isn't. If we live, in other words, if we enjoy the blessing of the Spirit, let us also direct our lives by the Spirit. If we're, all, if we're going to come to church and enjoy the blessing, let's make sure we're in Christ. Let's make sure we're directing our lives by. Amen. If you're going to enjoy this relationship with Jesus, let's make sure we're not over here having an illicit relationship with a devil. That was my title to the youth was, The Banner of Jehovah Dismisses the Mistress and the Lover. It's like Brother Branham says, you know, when you announce the title of Thinking Man's Filter, he says, you should have seen the faces on the audience when I announced that. But really, that's what it is. It's an illicit affair with the devil. That you're trying to follow after Christ, and this is my Lord, and this is the one, and this is my relationship. But all the meantime, in the background, there's something going on back there in the private, in the secret time. When there's a, there ought to be a cultivation in that secret time of relationship with Christ, you've given it over to another devil. That instead of giving that, that intimate affair to the Lord Jesus Christ, that you could have a relationship where he can whisper to you his secrets and he can pour in revelation, and he does that to you in the private of your prayer closet. Instead, you've given it over by diverse temptations and diverse lusts to something else. No matter how innocent it may seem, if it's distracting from the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan is winning. Because that's all he has to do because the, the purpose of the rapture, the, or the, the, the timing of the body change is when the bride recognizes who she really is. And the only way she can recognize it is by the Lord Jesus telling her who she is and her receiving it. So if she's never listening... Far later in my notes, but Brother Ed said it one time, it always stuck with me. He said, nothing good will ever come from watching YouTube and reading the Word. 
Nothing good's ever going to come from, well, I'll just enjoy my little entertainment here, and then over here I'll study. And then over here I'll enjoy. What are you doing? You're making it so easy for that guy that comes in behind the good sower to sow some bad seed. God's come in and sow good seed with the word of God, and you flip over the next moment, and here comes the devil. Oh, thanks for inviting me. Here's some bad seed. Are you with me? It might not be the easiest service. It might be hard. It might be straight. But I, I, I need to encourage you in the spirit realm because we're fighting a spiritual battle. It's not a fleshly battle that we're out there trying to clash arms with Biden and Trudeau. No, it's a spiritual battle against the wickedness in high places. And if you still think the governments of this world is high places... Oh, boy. The Lord is high. And those that aspire to be with him get lifted up into what? Heavenly places. Amen. All right, that's another service. Galatians chapter 6, if you just go over into the very next chapter, chapter 6 and verse 14, says, but God forbid... That I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. How did that world become crucified? By the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I accepted what he did, and I began to walk in it. I enjoyed the blessing of it. I loved the, the, the justification, the feeling of euphoria, that I'm free from all those sins of the past. I love the blood of Jesus Christ and how he sanctified me and cleaned me out from all those things that I used to oh, walk after and seek after, but he cleaned me out. But now he says, i got to take another step. i got to walk in the Spirit too. i got to allow him to fill me so that it's not me walking in these shoes, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. By whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Hallelujah. And I unto the world. In other words, I ain't that person anymore. Now that ain't me. Those old friends come around and, hey, we used to have such a good time. That ain't me anymore. That guy's dead. See, there's a testimony over here up on a cross, but he's dead. Why is it always a crucifixion? Because it's painful. It hurts. Brother Brown would talk about that. Growing pains. It hurts. But it's necessary. Verse 15 says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. That's what avails something with the Lord. Because God doesn't look on the outward of man. He's not looking to see some circumcision. He's looking to see a change in the heart. He's looking to see that you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. He says, for and as many as walk according to this rule, according to what rule? To the rulership of the Holy Spirit. It's not that there's literally a rule laid out that we could put up on the screen here and say, this is the rule. No, it's a rulership. It's a relationship. Those that walk according to this rulership. In other words, they have a different head. The head become Christ. He says, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. Hallelujah. You with me? I know you are. Colossians chapter 3. One of the deacons gave me a look when I handed him a list of scriptures. 
It's quite long. But I don't intend to be long. Good intentions are everything, right? Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 says, If you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Oh my. What does that mean? Where Christ sitteth on the right hand. Abraham says in the Hebrews chapter 1, he says, what does the right hand mean? Not God has got a right hand that somebody's sitting on. Right hand means the power and authority. He's got authority of everything in heaven and earth, and all of heaven and earth is made by him. So here's Paul admonishes, seek those things of power and authority. Seek to be in Christ Jesus that you could have authority and that all of heaven would back you up. If you're born in Christ, don't just stay there. Seek that you would be uh, one with him, that you, could, that you could take God at his word, that you could come to adoption, yeah. maturity. What else is in the right hand? Let me just say this. He says, now, what? now watch now as we go on the seven spirits. He holds them, in other words, holds his messengers. Messengers will be anointed with the Holy Spirit, with the same Holy Spirit that Paul, the first one, was anointed with the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. All the men are in his right hand, deriving their power and their light from his right hand. He says, seek those things that are in the right hand. Seek to study the Word of God, to be in the Word, to be in the message of the hour so you could understand what the right hand of God is, that that's where the full power and authority is. That's why when he came to Peter, will you also go from me? And Peter said, to whom would we go? Thou alone has the words of eternal life. Thou alone has power and authority. We've come to you because you're the one that can set us free. And as that begins to go down through the years, there was a time when Luther's message was the message. It was authority in that day that if you got under that banner, that was the baptism of the Holy Spirit in that day. That was the seven spirits of God. But then, then when Wesley's day came, you couldn't sit under Luther's message anymore. You had to come into Wesley's message because that was the banner of that day. And now you can't stay there anymore. you got to come out into another message. The seventh angel message. And it says, and seek those things. That's why we always encourage you, listen to the tape. Study the message. Get into the Word. Dig into it. Don't just read it for face value. Dig into what is he saying. What does he mean? Lord, reveal it and make it real to my heart. Because that's the authority of God. But I'm saying, but by, a, by the living God, a living God who sits at the right hand of the majesty, all power and authority and preaching the word and sending forth the Holy Ghost as a witness what he did. Hallelujah. Believe the word of God. You'll see miracles of God. But if you have to believe it first, certainly you have to believe it. Now the very next scripture is we are in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 and then verse 2. says, set your affections. Now we're getting back into the spirit realm. Set your affections on things 
above, not on things of the earth. Set your affections in your mind. In your, in, not, he's not just going down and saying, listen, he's speaking to born-again people. A lot of what Paul deals with in the scripture, he's speaking to those that are born again. And he's telling them how to live in your spirit. How to surrender your spirit another, and also bring your flesh subject to the word of God that's already within you. Amen. I truly believe that's what we're speaking to in this day and age in the message. For those of you that have been taught, you've been taught for years under Brother Harold, taught for years under Brother Ed. And other ministers as well. Visiting minister come through. Visiting minister come through. Good man of God. Taught right. Taught well. And he says, now you need to keep going on with that. That's been planted in your soul. But how do you live according to that so that all the body and the spirit become subject to the word that's been planted within you? And more than all those ministers, you sat under the message of the hour. Listening and listening, and we were talking about the other day. I said we are, we have so privilege because we we speak the English language, we read the English language, we study in the English language. Could you imagine going over? But the Paul said, you imagine going over to Russia where they only have so many messages. Latino and I down in Guatemala where they only for years had so many messages, and not knowing the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this day. We have such a privilege, such an honor to know it and in such a great way, such an unveiling of, the, of God in this hour. Set your affections on these things. He's saying the message of total deliverance. I'm just going to keep plowing forward. Trust I'm going slow enough for you. He says we all want to be unified together with the Holy Spirit. Every member should be unified one with the other. How's that happen in the flesh? To be honest with you, it doesn't. We all got different likes and dislikes. He's talking about down the soul, you ought to be unified one with another. When the word of God comes forth, this one says amen. That one says amen. Why? Because it's the same spirit in them. It's the same word of God in them that joins together. And that has to begin to push outward. Or now even in your spirit realm, you begin to align with one another. Why? Because you're aligning with the same Lord Jesus that this individual is aligning with. That this individual is aligning with. They're getting in line. They're getting, becoming in the image of Jesus Christ. So their affections come on the same thing. And then this person finds out, hey, we got the same affections. You mean you've been thinking about that, that wonderful day when we go and our loved ones come marching in. And you begin to imagine it a certain way. I imagine it the same way. That's in the spirit realm. Why? Because it's the same word within the two separate individuals that begins to step out from there and they begin to speak on the same things. They begin to, their thoughts begin to come on the same things. Why? Because it's the same spirit that's moving them. That's why it's always been so phenomenal to me when I'll get up to preach and Brother Ed will get up and share, share a quote and it's like, I, that's in my message. Brother Mac, I'll get up and he'll get up and speak on a Sunday morning, and I'm like, that, 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 that's my text. Why? Because it's the same spirit, it's the same Christ that begins to push out. And it's why is it so phenomenal? Because it means that there's becoming an image of Jesus Christ that begins to take image and take shape. And all that bear the image of God, render them unto God. Hallelujah. That's just the first line of a three-paragraph quote. It says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts 
What is that? The banner of Jehovah Nissi shed abroad. In other words, there is many people that have begun to pick up that banner by the Holy Spirit. He says, by the Holy Ghost. It cleanses us from all unrighteousness. What does it does? Not us, not by our will, not by our might, but by his spirit. He says, we are delivered from the things of the world. Jesus said, this will all men know that you are my disciples when you got love one for the other. That's not a carnal love. That's not some kind of a fleshly love where we just, oh, I love that brother. He looks so nice. I love that sister. My, she's got a lovely husband and everything's wonderful. No, that's the outside the world's love where they just love. That's how you, they can accept one another and just come as they are and everything's wonderful together because it's on an outside where they feel Christ is talking about that we ought to just love people the way they are. But it's so much deeper than that. That's why when Jesus said, he said, the son of God, he came in this world not to condemn it, but that it might be saved. That all that would believe on him, he came to save the world. It wasn't that he came to save the world. He came to save what he created. Because that's what fell. Not all the perversion of Satan. I'm here to save the perversion. No, I'm not here to save the perversion. I'm here to save what I've called. I know my sheep. They know my voice. I will not lose one. They're in the Father's hand. Oh, my. So then when one evil thing starts, the outside world's come, and a woman comes along and says, Now, look, dear. It'd be better if you did this or do that or wore this or did that or done that. What are you talking about? Outside influences begin to creep in. An evil thing. He says, so forth like that. He says, we should be so unified with God till those things don't affect us. You say, well, Brother Branham, it's an awful temptation. Here we go. And it is. Satan pulling on your flesh, allowing things, putting things in front of you, whispering things in your ear. How does he whisper it in your ear? You happen to walk by a store. There's a little song playing that you used to like back in the day. Uh-huh, you with me? There's a little something you used to read or every single issue of it. You begin to walk through there and you're, oh. Or you begin to see something, young man, they're young, old men too. They, they see something that's immoral and ungodly that you used to have to turn your head like this from. And he just keeps bombarding you, bombarding you with that. What is he doing? He's trying to creep in. He says, oh, but it's a terrible temptation. It is a terrible temptation. It's the deceivableness of unrighteousness. But he said, but Christ died for that purpose. The devil is defeated. Let me just portray a vision for you real quick. The very next few sentences, he says, we want total deliverance. Amen. 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 I don't want partial deliverance where I still got some little lover back here. But this one little thing, I just like it. No, I want total deliverance. I want nothing to do with the world anymore. I don't want to set my affections on those things anymore. I want my affections to be holy on Jesus Christ. So we want total deliverance. We want a church that's pure. We want a church that's clean. Yeah. 
We want a church that's unadulterated. What does that mean? Unadulterated means free from illicit spiritual relationships. Hallelujah. It's not just talking. We don't want adultery in the church. Absolutely. That ought to be ABC. Amen. We don't want that. Paul says, let it not be named once among you. But he goes beyond that. We want an unadulterated church. In other words, we don't want to have illicit relationships with the devil in anywhere in the church. Not just in a couple individuals. We don't want an adulterated ministry. Yeah, we don't want that either. But we don't want an unadulterated, we want an unadulterated church. That the people, the laity, the sound people, the musicians that step up here and play an instrument, they're not out there afterwards in their secret time having a relationship with the devil. Hallelujah. He says, the one washed in the blood of the Lamb. But don't just stop there and fill with the Holy Spirit. And he says, don't just stop there and signs and wonders and miracles. There's a clear vision for you. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. One that's walking so in the anointing of the Holy Spirit that it's nothing for God to come in and begin to perform the supernatural. Glory be to God. You must have a clear vision of what your goal is. Brother Paul laid that out so well with marriage, but I'll say that it pertains to life. It pertains to your walk with God. You've got to have a clear vision of what your goal is. If your goal is just to be a better person, you might fall short. There's a goal that's laid out for the bride of Jesus Christ. It's called a body change. It's called rapturing faith. It's called she is him. It's called that exactly. I'm born of his bone, I'm flesh of his flesh. That's the vision that's laid out. And it's been a clear vision. So let's make straight pathways to get from here to there. Hallelujah. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Oh my. Another five minutes will be in the after hour. Hebrews chapter 12. What did I give you there, Sister Ruth, for Hebrews 12? I know I kind of skipped over it. Verse 12, there it is. Wherefore? Lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. It's not so much talking about your flesh. Well, you're unwilling to worship and unwilling to pray. Lift up those hands. Get on your knees. Pray through. It says, and make straight paths for your feet. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Now, once again, we're talking about the spirit here. This isn't talking about the flesh so much as much as it is multifaceted. It's talking about the spirit with those that are lame in the spirit. There's been a lot of those, and there still is. A lot of those that, that what is it, lame in the spirit? Those that have been injured, scarred, hurt. 
says you've got to lay down a straight pathway so that way when you take this funky curve and they go, I don't like that, and they just keep on going straight and fall off the pathway. Why? Because they've seen where it led before. They've been lamed in their spirit. They can't walk that way. You've got to walk a straight pathway straight from here to the vision. In other words, how do you do that? Stay with the word. The next verse, verse 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any fail in grace and the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up among and trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Oh Lord, help us. Let us make straight pathways for the Lord. Stay right in the message, not to venture off according to our own affections, our own lusts, our own desires, but stay with the word regardless of what it hurts. And recognize that God said, I will lead the blind down those pathways. Hallelujah. The next verse says, lest there be any fornicator. Take that spiritually too. Any spiritual fornicator. I decides, you know what, this is just too hard for me. I can't follow these winding paths. I've got to just go off my own direction. Make a straight path. Or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Lord, let us never be that caught in that way. That for one illicit relationship with the devil, we would sell out the promises of God. For one time of... Stay on the straight path, church. Straight is the gate. Narrow is the way. Say, it's so hard. It's such an awful temptation. You've got to lift up your hands and worship, and you've got to get on your knees and pray. In the next verse, it says, For you know... How that afterward, when you have inherited the blessing, when he had, would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he had no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Oh God, keep us in your grace. You've got to have a clear vision of what the goal is. I'm going to try and find a place to close this. We'll just carry on until we find that. Let's make straight pathways so we can move in that direction. Let's bring in a couple scriptures in Timothy and then we'll take a big jump. Timothy chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 3. When I read these words, I, I, I recognize that Paul isn't writing to just anybody. He's writing to a sincere young man. He's writing to someone who knows the gospel, someone who he's, he's spoken highly of. He's commended and recommended to many. And now as he begins to write this, know that also in the last days perilous times shall come. 
He's not writing this to the sinners out there to say, oh, oh yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. No, he's writing it to you. Know the tactics of your enemy. Know that in the last day perilous times shall come. That men shall be lovers of them own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Without natural affection, it's amazing to me nowadays, you could just read quickly through the scripture and with every single point, it's like an example can just come to your mind. Boom, 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 boom. That's the kind of deceitful age that we're living in where it says without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I stopped there last time I ministered over this pulpit. You got to recognize this. It wasn't that they weren't confessing a love for God. But they were lovers of this lover, this devil over here. More than they loved the Lord. They were more interested in this, their mistress and their lover. They were more interested in the, 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 the pleasures of sin than they were in the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God for a man like Moses. Who counted the, the riches of Egypt as dung that he would rather take the reproach of the children of Israel. He'd rather take the reproach of the gospel. Say, I'll walk by that way no matter what it costs, no matter what it looks like to the outside. Don't let me be a lover of pleasure. Just having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Notice this next statement. He says, from such... Try and walk with them as long as you can and encourage them and pull them in. From such, turn away. How do I get them to turn around and look to the gospel? There's a cross up here with some dead flesh. I'm not talking about the Lord Jesus. I'm talking about my testimony saying, this is what I once was. I once walked in your way, but I turned away from that. You want me to walk with you? That's as far as I go. Dead right there. He says, for this is the sort. There are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led, led away with diverse lusts, however learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Oh That's a little bit like today. Ever learning, we got education like we've never had before. We got all kinds of things that they even, you could take class after class after class on religion, on the scripture. They could pour into you all the traditions of the Pharisees, all the traditions of the Sadducees. Literally, they got books of it. And they could go after you. Oh, you have to understand the scripture this way. You got to take this giant book. No, I'm taking the word of God. And he'll reveal it to me. He says they're ever learning, but never able. How can they come not come to the knowledge of the truth? Because they forgot you've got to have the life that's in the scripture to come make it alive. Without the life that's in there, that's the spirit of truth. Amen. Verse 8, sister says, Now as, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Blasphemers. How are they blasphemers? They call the Holy Spirit that is not the Holy Spirit. The works of God as though it's not the works of God. What are they doing? Resisting the truth. Men of corrupt minds. They've been corrupted in their spirit. Their consciences have been seared with a hot iron. Their affections have been so turned toward the lusts of the flesh. Reprobate concerning what? 
what's in the soul. There's so much doubt in there. I've been reprobate concerning the faith. Go back to the first Timothy chapter six. It says, but godliness is contentment. Chapter six, verse six says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Hallelujah. For we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that are rich fall into temptations and a snare. Now, don't just immediately dismiss and say, well, in my own mind, I'm not rich. Therefore, this doesn't apply to me. This is more than that. This is those that are seekers of wealth. To them that are rich... He said uh, they fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts. Oh, my. They fall into things that are not just, oh, it's it's, it's an innocent lust. No, it's a foolish and it's hurtful. They should have known better. It's foolishness. Trying to go down that road too much. It says, which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money. Not money. The love of money. Whether you got it or you don't. The love of money is the root of all evil for which some coveted after and have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Didn't we read on Friday about Ephesians chapter 6? Pick up the shield of faith that you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the devil. In other words, what's he saying? They laid down the shield of faith in order to pick something else up. And in the meantime, the devil just hit them. Boom, 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 boom. With many sorrows. Oh my, he's speaking this entire time about covetousness and lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all of these things. We'll go here. Sister Ruth, do you have that PowerPoint? I just have one slide here I want to show you. If you just go put that up, just the very, very last slide. You've all seen this before. Here we come. I want you to notice something about this picture. Look at the middle. Well, there's divine love. There's faith. This is a born-again Christian. But all of a sudden, thoughts begin to creep in. It's written up there, Antichrist. Evil. Evil thoughts. This thing work? There we go. And pretty soon, all of these misuses of your spirit gateways begin to creep back in. All those things. This is really what I'm dealing with this morning. Really, I'm focusing quite highly on this one right here. Reflections. So I find in the scripture, and I find in, in, in life, that this is the way the devil likes to use it. He doesn't just come at you on your reasoning level. But he pulls in your imagination and your memory and your affections. And he begins to pull that all in with reasoning so it affects your conscience to, in order to bring you into condemnation. But if you just listen to this voice in here, there is no condemnation. It takes that. Thank you. You can, you can take that down for a minute. But what is, what is lust? 
Lust is a carnal astigmatism of your affection based on the fleshly senses. Astigmatism, those of you that work in an eye clinic and things will know what an astigmatism is. That's a deformation that, that, that blurs and changes the vision. It distorts the vision. Is that right, Brother Mike? Thank you. That's exactly what it is. I just looked it up this morning to make sure I had it right. <laughs> Knew I had some eye doctors in here. I had to get that right. More than the fact that you have to be right on the word. But here we find that the, the, the lust, it's a deformation. It's there to change your vision of what you are looking for. And it's something that's based on your fleshy, something you saw, something in your memory that pulls at you, something that begins to strike something in your spirit where it begins to pull at your affections to covet something. In other words, lust is a misuse of your affections. Imagination, memory, conscience, reasoning, affections, they all have a scriptural, holy purpose. First of all, God, God created man. He created him a spirit in his own image. He made it so that way all of it has a holy purpose. All that we have, Adam had it. All the, 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 the things that we have, the functioning mind that we have, the functioning spirit, the functioning body, the functioning soul that we have, Adam had that. Jesus was made after in the... In the, in the, in the like, like sinful flesh, in the likeness of sinful flesh. There we go. Why was it? He had the capability to sin as we have the capability to sin. He had the capability to lust as we have the capability to lust. But Satan is a perverter. And he tries to pervert your affections to their wrong use. He tries to pervert your conscience to the wrong use. Uh, often that's what Paul is speaking about in, in Romans chapter 7. He's talking about your conscience being used wrong when he says sin took a, took a convenience against me. It, it, it went against me. Sin went against me after the law. It tried to condemn me by the law. But he says that's the misuse of my conscience. Now I know, I've already preached for an hour and 15 minutes and now I'm really laying in some, some things. Like I said, I'm trying to bring it to a close and I think we're going to close here right away. And I want to say this, this does not, lust does not just pertain to a man looking at a woman or a woman looking at a man. Romans chapter 7 verse 7 says, Now what shall we say? Is the law sin? God forbid. But if I, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law said, thou shalt not covet. He said, this can be, now this can be pertaining to material things. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. If you pertain to cars, it can be pertaining to devices. You see what someone else got, you begin to covet it. It would pertain to all those things. It can also be pertaining to a physical attraction, absolutely. It can also be pertaining to visual realities. Or virtual realities. That's the word I was looking for. Virtual. Something that's not real, and you're not a part of it, but you're looking at it anyways, and you begin to covet what you're seeing. And you begin to wish you're living in a world that doesn't exist. Because remember, this, this lust and this covetousness, this isn't something that takes place in the flesh. This takes place in the spirit
skip a whole bunch here. Here we go. Lust. James 1 verse 15. Jumping a whole bunch there, Sister Ruth. Where lust, lust, when he says, then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. But let me ask you, when does lust conceive? Under the law, lust was conceived under a physical act. That when you were brought into the physical act, that then all of a sudden you, you, the, the punishment was death. That was covetous. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. That was under the law. But now it says which was punished by stoning or stolen property. Coveting someone's property, was, you had to repay often more than what was stolen. It says, but, but under grace, Jesus says in Matthew now, he says, Whosoever looketh upon a woman lust after hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Well, now it goes, it goes deeper than just, well, I didn't actually do anything. You can find quote after quote after quote after quote after quote where Brother Branham says, woman, you dress that way. He says, man, you look upon that woman and lust after her. You've already committed adultery. You women that dress that way, you're just as guilty and your answer for it. You may have never done anything and lived as true to your husband as you possibly could. But because you cause someone to lust, you're guilty in a relationship because an illicit relationship takes two. But so when does lust conceive? Under grace. It conceived, it's conceived in your thoughts. But notice Jesus, that word that he uses, if you lust after a woman in the Greek words is epithemio. And it says to turn upon a thing or to desire for or to long for, to lust after, to covet for those things that you seek that are forbidden. In other words, this lust isn't just the first thought, but in other words, it's you turn yourself towards it. Not just physically, but in your spirit realm where you begin to cultivate an image to a thought. But the Bible says in one place, he says, listen, he says in order he says, to, to, to be tempted, temptation is not sin. That's that first thought. He says, but heeding that temptation... How can you hear you begin to cultivate that thought that the devil put in there or put it up to that antichrist thought that comes in and pretty soon your affections change from things above to things back of the world again. And you begin to cultivate that and then it begins to prick up on your imagination. What could things be if this was happening? It all would be amazing and this and that and this and that. And then your memory pricks up. I remember I used to really like these things and we should really go back down this road again, old devil. God have mercy. Now, I need to bring you back to grace. Romans 6 and 23. Once again, I'm skipping a whole bunch of anything. I even gave you this one, Sister Ruth. Romans 6 and 23. says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Too often we want to take a compromise. What is a compromise? Comp is a word that actually comes from, if you go back and follow through the Greek and the Hebrew, comp is complementary. And promise is promise. In other words, if you compromise with the word of God, you're looking for something complementary to the promise. Saying that the promise is not good enough for me, I need something extra. I need this plus. It's exactly the road that Samson walked down saying, I'm happy judging Israel, but I also want the lust of my flesh. And it cost him. What did it cost him? His eyes and it cost him death.
This is the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Even, listen, even Brother, Brother Edmund preached on even Jeremiah when they were committing sin and, and enough to have them kicked out of the land. Are you with me? They, they were committing sin enough to have them kicked out saying, no, I, I'm coming, there's an army from the north and Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to come in, we're going to kick you out after 70 years or accomplished, we'll bring you back. But all of these things, but now, as, even as he's being kicked out, even in all of that, God is already laying a plan for redemption back. Even as he's laying out the punishment, he's laying out redemption right in behind it, saying, but there's a way back. There's still grace. Amen. Hallelujah. Though it was Jesus who spoke, if any man look upon a woman and lust after her, he's already committed adultery in his heart. He's already laid the plans of redemption right along with that. When a woman came to him caught in the act of adultery, he began to ride in the sand. And those around him began to get convicted. What was he laying? There's a way of redemption. It's through me, Jesus Christ. And what did he, what did he set all those plans in motion? He set them all in motion when he cried on the cross. It is finished. And he set every plan in motion of redemption, saying, yes, you can walk down a path of sin so long, and the end thereof should be death, but I've paid the price for you. So that you are no longer guilty of what the flesh did, but rather there's a different individual now because the flesh is dead. Oh, God, rich in mercy. Let me say this. In the, in the, in the Bible times, we, they had a law of jubilee. Let's stand to our feet together. In the Bible times, they had a law of jubilee. Every so many years, there would be a jubilee trumpet sounded, and all the slaves that desired to go free could go free. But even in this time of jubilee, because it was to be a certain morning at a certain time, so when the sun rose up, so what would they do? They would send watchers up onto the hill. They would send them up onto the hill so that the moment that sun began to shine, they could cry out, you're free. The sun is risen. You're free. If you go down into Isaiah chapter 59, you'll find it says that, uh, that in all of it, it, uh, it says that we'll raise up a standard when the enemy comes in like a flood, right? We'll raise up a standard. It's Holy Ghost filled individuals. What are those individuals doing? They're crying out exactly what's in Isaiah 60 verse 1, which says, arise, shine. The light has come. The jubilee has come. You don't have to be dead to the, you don't have to be under the law of sin anymore. You're under a new law. A law of grace. Oh, don't you just love the Lord? You go down the road into Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. It says, don't be conformed to the things of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your spirit, renew it again this morning. Renew it again tonight. Renew it again tomorrow. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All of those effects, all those gateways that the devil wants to just plug up those flues. Get the Holy Ghost in you. Amen. And when it's in you, feed it. Till it just keeps it blowing out. Hallelujah. The Benham says, he says, every fiber of a Christian's body is controlled by the Holy Spirit. That doesn't leave anything out. Every fiber of the Christian body is controlled, not influenced. That's that old nature that tries to influence every fiber. But when you get the control tower filled with the Holy Spirit, every fiber of your spirit, every fiber of your flesh is controlled by what's on the inside. That Jesus made a way under the covenant of grace that now you can live the law. 
Not as a set of rules, but as a, as a desire to live a love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus. I know we started out singing it, but why don't we sing it again, Brother Ray? He's in the house. Death has to flee. If you get God in the house, I said to the young people on Friday, I said, listen, the only way to dismiss your mistress and your lovers is to get under the banner of Jehovah. And the only way to get under the banner of Jehovah is to dismiss the mistress and the lover. Say, but that's a paradox. How do I do it? It's so simple. Lift up those hands and get on your knees and repent. Let God have full control. Lay down your own side. He'll only take as much as you give him. Oh, church, we ought to be such a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, clean and pure and holy and unadulterated and full of miracles and washed in the blood, signs and wonders being done. Glory be to God, Brother Ray. Hallelujah. Sorry I kept you so long, but I ain't sorry at all. There's just so much on my heart that's burning. Thank you, Lord. Look up, church. Your redemption draws nigh. Look up, young people. Look up, old people. doesn't matter what age you are, where you consider yourself on an age spectrum. It doesn't matter. Because if you're looking up and the vision is clear, every one of you is about 19, 20 years old. Every one of you sisters got hair bowed down to your waist. Keep that vision clear. My wife and I, we put a picture of ourselves when we were first married and we were about 19 years old. We put that up on the fridge because that's the vision. Amen before I gained all this weight. <laughs> You're with me, again. Before all that happened, before my hair started falling up, I haven't lost one of them. Before all these things started happening, why? Before I made all those mistakes when I first got married, before I did the wrong things and I had to turn to God and ask for forgiveness, before all that, I'm keeping a vision clear. That's what I'm walking towards. Whatever the cost, keep me true, Lord Jesus. Little girl was lying there. People are weeping. They just laughed at Jesus when he said she's on his own. as he took her Me lie. 
house. Not just this tabernacle, this house. I was governed by doubt. I was governed by mistresses and all these other things. But he's come. Hallelujah. Friends, we've taken a few services on God will raise a standard. The very next verse that the prophet speaks is, Arise, shine, for your light has come. Hallelujah. I believe that that light is in the earth today. We live in such an age. It's convoluted. Even self-helps and psychologies and, and denominational zeal. And I, I've got this program and I got this program. You know what this age needed? A prophet. That's right. Make straight the ways of Jehovah. That's right. The same as John did. The Isaiah prophesied, let the high places be brought low. Let the crooked places be made straight. That's what John the Baptist did. Friends, that anointing has come to this earth again. And we need it Man. straight. We need to know we're not here playing church. I can't carry things in my mind. Dismiss them. Get rid of them. God has come. Amen. You go and listen to a way of a true prophet. Go and listen to end time evangelism. What good are decisions? We need it in this last day as somebody to decision is a stone but we need somebody to come and shape them friends you get under the anointing of that prophet get under that anointing and let it shape your thinking let it change your mind let it change where we're going I believe we're coming at a corner friends God is not going to let the world go on but there is destruction coming and he's not going to let us just lollygag in the same things anymore let's get real Let's change our minds. Amen. Let's change our thinking. Let the word be born. Grant it, Lord. Hallelujah. God bless you, Brother Andrew. Amen. See young men just rising up. See young people. God bless you, Brother Max. God bless you, Brother Marshall. God bless you, sisters. Amen. That's some testimonies Amen. of the young people and what God's doing in their life. God bless them. This wasn't just a seniors meeting. He, he said it was at the beginning, but he closed and said, keep a vision of a young person. I don't know what you looked like back then, Brother Glenn, but keep the vision. <laughs> oh, praise God. I, I don't know how we can go on and sing this, finish this service without singing Days of Elijah. I'll tell you what. Just think about where we are in time. A world weaving, groping, all in darkness. Go in the Church Age book and read where Brother Ram talks about the time of Luther. And there was all these different thoughts and schools and different things. And then the cry came out, one thing needful. What this generation needs. Go read that in the Church Age book. It's, it's wonderful. Let me just sing this. Think about what this generation needed. It was under a curse. And I'll say one thing it needed was Elijah. And I'll say this, the God of Elijah is here. That anointing of that Elijah is here. Let's let's sing. Go ahead, Brother Ray. And these are the days of Elijah.
Jehovah. 